2 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunuchy, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me Keep us the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the gospel at reading is taken from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. So hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also... When you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, 
And as we come to the Lord's Word, let's, uh, let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we pray that your Word would be our rule, your Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Amen. I thought we'd look this morning at that uh, opening uh, 14 verses of uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, The uh, London Olympic Games of 2012 started in the same way, of course, that the Olympic Games have over the last century, uh, last hundred years, and that is, of course, with the lighting of the Olympic flame. And uh, the Olympic flame uh, uh, will have traveled from um, the original Olympic Games site in Olympia in Greece, (coughs) and you'll know that uh, it is passed from runner to runner. They run a predetermined distance, and then they hand that flame, that torch, onto another runner who runs a similar distance and then onto another runner <coughs> and so on and so forth until the flame reaches the Olympic site. In this case, uh, it was London. And for London, I've been told it was around about 8,000 runners. Around about 8,000 runners took the flame and they took it around about 8,000 miles, all told, uh, all around uh, uh, England. And it was a great honour to carry the torch. You'll know that it was uh, people who'd done sort of various civic duties, were allowed to uh, carry it. Various sportsmen, present and past, were allowed to carry it. Celebrities, uh, all sorts of people uh, were given the honor of carrying the torch. And the torch, as I understand it, symbolizes the sort of passing on of Olympic uh, traditions from one generation to another. And it must indeed have been a great honor to have that flame for that mile or so with which you were entrusted with it as you uh, ran with it, to know that you were connected to all the people who would come before you, all the people who would come after you, both in that particular relay, but also in history itself. And I want to suggest this morning that the passing of that Olympic flame from one runner to another is an excellent picture of the job of the church. It is called to pass, if you like, the gospel flame, that beacon of light and life, from one person to another, from one generation to another. And indeed, it's that task <coughs> excuse me, that preoccupies Paul as he writes this letter to Timothy. The question that preoccupies Paul is, how is this life-giving gospel going to bring life to the people of the world in every generation? And it is a little bit like that Olympic relay. It is, says Paul, as people receive the gospel, as they carry it uh, by guarding it and keeping it aflame, and then as they pass it on to the next generation, receiving it, guarding it, passing it on. Those are the three great themes, it seems to me, of Paul's letter to Timothy. And in our reading this morning, verses 13, 14, I think are something of a summary They summarize Paul's charge to Timothy. He says this, do you remember? What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Paul says to Timothy, look, having received the gospel by faith, and it seems that his mother and his grandmother were instrumental in that, 
Keep what you have received intact. Keep it whole. Guard it so that you might give the same gospel to others. Now, why is that so important? Two brief points. The first is because the gospel is precious. It's a treasure. It is, as Paul puts it, the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. When you ask the question, well, why is it so precious? The answer, I think, in the first chapter of 2 Timothy is because it is the only thing that brings life. Did you see that in verses 8 to 10? Paul gives a summary of the gospel. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news that in the death of Jesus, God has saved his people. He has banished death and brought new life in him. And this new life of forgiveness and friendship with God produces a new way of life in us, the holy life, as Paul calls it. It leads to a thorough renovation as our understanding of who we are in Christ by the power of the Spirit, begins to affect every part of our lives. And all of this is received, did you notice? Not because of any goodness on our part, verse 9, but because of the grace of God. It is a gift to be received. So God saves us because we need saving. And it is God who saves us because only God can deal with our fundamental problem. That is why the gospel is so precious, because it's the only thing that can deal with the fundamental problem of humanity, which of course is sin. And it deals with it by bringing forgiveness, and it deals with it by freeing our hearts from their enslavement to self-centeredness, which of course lies at the root of the world's great problems. So the gospel then is the word of life, for it holds out to us the person and the work of Jesus and invites us to place our faith in him and receive his resurrection life. And that is why it's the most precious message in the world. You'll remember, of course, at the coronation, these words very famously, the archbishop gave the queen uh, to be, or in the making at that stage, uh, the Bible, with these words, our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. The most valuable thing that this world affords as they pass the Bible to her because they are the words of life. The gospel, as we have it passed down to us from the apostles, is the pattern, says Paul, of sound teaching. The word sound there literally translates the Greek word healthy. The gospel is, as the apostles passed it down to us, healthy, both in the sense that it is, it is itself whole and, and pure, 
uh, but also, I think, in the sense that it gives spiritual health to those who receive it by faith. <clears throat> and so the apostolic gospel must be kept as it is. For God's words given to us, they alone have the power of God with them to raise people from spiritual death to life. The authentic gospel is the apostolic gospel. Now, of course, we must contextualize it. We must contextualize it in every generation. We must take the gospel truths and teach them afresh to every generation in the language that that generation understands. It must address the questions that that particular culture is asking. But we must never, says Paul, we must never compromise it or change it or cut it. It must be the apostolic gospel that we present afresh to each and every generation. And so says Paul in verses 13 and 14, one of our principal jobs is to keep it, to keep the pattern of sound teaching and to guard it because Paul is a realist. He knows that won't be easy because not only is the gospel precious, but Paul says the gospel and gospel people will always be under pressure will always be under pressure. We'll be under pressure from without. Did you notice verse 8? Clearly, Timothy's under pressure. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me. Paul's under pressure. He's in prison. But join with me in suffering. Gospel people, the gospel will always be under pressure from without because the gospel challenges uh, society, its culture and its norms. Jesus and his cross will always be a scandal in any and every society because it tells us that we are sinners, unable to be good enough for God. And in that sense, grace is always offensive. It tells us we must rely wholly on God. And the way of life presented in the gospel also confronts and subverts the world's values, doesn't it? It it confronts it socially. It confronts the world morally. Uh, Particularly at the moment, of course, we know that uh, uh, the gospel confronts our society sexually. There's great pressure on us, on the church, to um, compromise the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage, uh, to deny the great gospel truth that sex is for marriage and that marriage is between a man and a woman. Great pressure to compromise. The gospel confronts the world financially as it makes it clear that money is not a God, and it challenges that view, that money does not bring life, that money is given to God's people uh, and to people in general, that we might be generous. Those who hold to the apostolic gospel will often uh, not be thanked for it, but get stick for it. There'll be pressure from without. There'll be pressure from within. A little bit later on in this same uh, letter, Paul says this, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. He's talking about people now within the church not wanting to hear uh, the Bible taught. There'll be those in the church who resist the message of the gospel and its call to a holy life. Because that call has a cost. And they'll clamor for an easy gospel. Cheap grace that simply confirms us in our lifestyle and our mindset. A gospel that isn't so countercultural, A gospel that makes us feel comfortable. 
And there'll be great pressure to compromise and to change the gospel to suit what people want to hear. And so says Paul, keep it and guard it because it contains life as it is. It brings life as it holds out Jesus. It is something to be guarded, but it's also something, as I close, to be given. Verse 8, do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord. We're not to be ashamed of it, but we're to accept the gospel joyfully as the word of life, and we're to keep the apostolic message as it is, as it has been passed down to us in the scriptures. And we're to pass it on, knowing that it contains, it holds out life, because it holds out the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, in whom is new life, who is alone the solution to the world's great problems. It is the most precious message. So we're to keep it, we're to guard it, and we are to make every opportunity to give it, to pass it on. Let's pray for God's grace in our task. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, this reminder. Again, it is so contemporary to us. Thank you for uh, those who have passed the gospel message onto us. Thank you for your grace that has worked in us such that we have come to accept and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have found life everlasting in him. And we pray that we would be courageous by the power of your spirit to keep and to guard the gospel as it has been passed down to us, that we might be equipped to give it to others, the whole gospel, the gospel of life, that it might bring life to others in this and in every generation. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.